Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Some Magic podcast. I am your host, Morgan, and I'm so excited to have you back for another magical moment. Today is a very special guest. Our guest is a globally recognized artist, wildlife conservationist, immersive experience designer, educator, and storyteller. He is a former Walt Disney Imagineer and has helped design and deliver projects at all six Disney resorts around the world. Today we have Morgan Richardson on and since today is Earth Day, I was so excited to air Morgan's episode today because he plays a huge part in wildlife conservation. Also, be sure to stick around to the very end to hear some magical moments sent in by you, the fans. If you would like to submit your most magical moment, please go to justsomemagic.com and click on the share your magic button to submit your story. Also, if you're new to the show, we have episodes every Monday and Thursday, so be sure to subscribe so you never miss a single episode. But now on with the show. Everybody, I am so excited for this guest today. He has done so much great work with the Disney company and is very inspiring with his art and all of his conservation efforts and whatnot. So we want to welcome Morgan Richardson. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm so excited to have you on. I kind of want to talk briefly about kind of how we met is we, I think you liked one of my Galaxy's Edge videos on Instagram, and I was like, "Whoa, this guy's name's Morgan." And I wrote, I wrote you a DM, and I said, "Hey, you got a cool name," and that's how our friendship kind of started. Yeah, yeah, double Morgans. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty cool name, I gotta say. Yeah, it's the best name. Clearly, a versatile name. So you know, I think we won out. Yes, we did. And honestly, okay, this is kind of embarrassing confession, but your old Instagram name, I did not realize that it was Morgan and then Morgan backwards for like the longest time, and I was like, "Oh, that's Morgan backwards." Yeah, Nagrom. It's our name backwards. Yeah. <laughs> but now if p- people want to find you and your art, what is your Instagram? It's just my full name, Morgan Lee Richardson. Morgan L-E-E Richardson. Super easy. And if you guys like color and art and like explosions of art, actually, Morgan's the guy to go to. Your Instagram feed and your art is just so bright and colorful. It- it's crazy like what have you always liked that crazy color art of like early design school and stuff like that was that always your inspiration sure well I mean I've always been a colorful person I enjoy color um it's not to say that I don't have you know black clothing or something like that right (laughs) but I think that color is another tool that people can use to express themselves in a variety of different ways and so I I lean on color very heavily in my personal work in order to sort of pull emotions out of the work and 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 help people 
connect with it and catch their eye. Um, there's a lot of great artwork out there that's a little bit more monochromatic. Um, mine is, is not. You know, it's 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 not that. You know, people <laughs> is not people are drawn to it. Yeah, it's 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 just not right. So people people are drawn to my work. I think because of the color, because of the expressive line work, because of patterning. You know, it, 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 there's there's a juxtaposition of different colors that. I think are a little less common that I use. You know, I'll 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 play with contrast quite heavily. No no pun intended there. And <laughs> and then, you know, it's it's one of those things where you're used to seeing complementary colors placed next to one another. Well, you know, I'll I'll kind of change it up and find other color combinations that play against one another really, really well and help pop the contrast of a piece. And then, you know, punctuate it with black line work and things like that. Yes. It's so bright and fun and dynamic. And it's nothing that I've ever seen before. And I always appreciate your art for sure. Bright neons. And it's just so great. And during the beginning of quarantine, you were doing a lot of like Instagram lives and like, as you were drawing and things and designing, and it was so cool to see that from behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, that's not something that I get to do all that often anymore. But it's definitely something that I did a lot in my past, I would do live painting at, you know, concerts or you know other art events and you know what 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 have you i mean i i I do live painting all over the place i still do live painting online now which is one of there's not a whole lot of upsides to going through a pandemic but i think that the ability to reach a lot of people virtually remotely and and hold events that can offer people the opportunity to see folks on the other side of the world do their craft, I think is very, very interesting. And so, I mean, like you said, just for funsies during the, mm-hmm. the heavy quarantine, I, you know, I was doing art pieces online, you know, every other night or something like that, which was, which was fun and, and quick and they're, they're, they're cute and, you know, they can, they can go pretty fast. And then there's other events that I do that are, you know, ticketed events that benefit conservation work and things like that, where I've done, you know, live painting. And then eventually that those, those, that work ends up getting auctioned off for, you know, a few thousand dollars or whatever to benefit nonprofit wildlife nonprofits globally. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for anyone who's willing to step in front of a camera right now and perform their craft, uh, you can reach a lot of people. I think it's great. Yeah. And then you're also, like you said, benefiting and conservation and whatnot. And so I think that's a great way to use your skills and talents for sure. What's been your favorite thing that you've created over quarantine? Ooh, uh, that's, that's a tough... I think that the one thing that really benefited me that I created during the quarantine was finally setting up like my own home studio the way that I wanted to. It's always oh. been a space that was sort of haphazardly put together. Occasionally I would use it to do studio work, but now it's legitimately a professional home digital art studio as well as uh, traditional artwork and, and woodcraft and sculpting and all of the other things that I do as well. That, you know, it's it's a very capable space that, you know, I can have all of my fun things in and then also perform professional work 
from. So, I mean, I'm doing remote work professionally now, and I'm doing it all from this little space I got. And your office is like extremely colorful too, and you're really into like the vintage retro stuff. It's all over there. Like I feel like it's like your little world, and you're colorful and just everything. Like I, if I were doing the art that you were doing, I'd be so inspired in that space for sure. Yeah, you know, it's overwhelming for people who come into this space and aren't used to this type of decor or are used to something a little bit more minimalistic, but that's not how I roll. It's indicative of my of my work. I mean, clearly what inspires my work is what I place around me and surround myself with. And I, I, I think that if anybody were to ask me what some of my primary inspirations are, you know, they just need to step into my space and they would understand it. Because you not only create this bright art, you work in this bright art, but you like wear it too. And you just came out with a new button up shirt design. Do you want to talk about that real plug that in and stuff now? If anyone is familiar with some of the side work that I did uh, when I was at Disney, a lot of it was doing some of these fan favorite merchandise designs, which was a great opportunity that I had to just kind of add a little bit of variety to my day by creating fun merchandise. And, you know, some of those were were like these very loud button up shirts, which I tend to wear myself. Uh, <laughs> so having the opportunity to design those in my own style for the Walt Disney Company, for Walt Disney Imagineering specifically, that was a lot of fun. In fact, I walked into Disneyland Paris a few years ago, and and right as I was walking through the gate, I turned to my left, and I saw a guy wearing one of my shirts. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. Made it all the way around the world. Fantastic. Do we, did you go yeah. say hi to him or anything? And I be did. Like, hey, and he, I designed it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, did where did you get that shirt? He's like... And he was an American. I'm like, oh, okay, oh. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, you 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 got it in the states, and you're wearing it to Paris. And, and oh. that was that was pretty fun. He took a picture yeah. with me. It was it was neat. But you know, I'm I'm doing it for fun now. You know, I'm doing my own designs that are are great. Some of them are sort of pop culture inspired or you know Disney inspired or whatever. But you know, a lot of it is is my own personal work that gets sort of morphed into something wearable and something fashionable, and it, it works well. I think at least for me. You know, it's yes. it's certainly clothing for people who don't fear color. <laughs> it's definitely like even like your home decor that you've done too, and just the clothing. It's definitely a conversation starter. I think you had a Golden Girls shirt that you just designed, correct? Yeah, okay, and yeah. you know, I I love that friggin' show so much. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's great. In 2017, I I guess there was a D23 Expo, and there was a a Golden Girls panel there, which was a, um, a celebration of all things Golden Girls. And we got people who were uh, integral to the to the run of the show, the creation of the show, and mm-hmm. and and over the course of the show, you know, held uh, various different responsibilities and, and roles for the show. Production designers, directors, producers, and we got them up on stage and and talked about the show. We got this really, you know, lovely letter from Betty White. Uh, she wasn't able to make it, uh, but I, I read it to the crowd and it was, it was super duper sweet. And it was, it was great. It was a really wonderful celebration. And then we gave everyone cheesecake at the end. It was rad. Oh, that's so cool. I, I have a confession. I haven't seen the show, but I've heard amazing good things about it that I'm like, oh, it might be on my quarantine list to, to get through and stuff after all the other shows people have recommended for sure. Yeah. Put this one at the top. Okay, Forget everything okay. else and just, just <laughs> Forget sh- everything shuffle else. this one right, right, right up there. Yeah. Forget Game of Thrones, all of that. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's all. It's it's not, It all pales in comparison with Golden Girls. Yes. Okay, so other things that you've designed that you can wear, um, if you guys ever been to Animal Kingdom and seen those Disney conservation fun buttons, guess who designs them? This guy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how you got inspiration for that and like yeah i think that they're great they serve a variety of different purposes one the the very clear and apparent collectability of them you know they've been sort of a staple at animal kingdom specifically for a very long time and and of course they've been available at other places as well uh hilton head vero beach you know Typhoon Lagoon, all, all, all kinds of places, yeah. you know, I, I, I suppose where, where people have gotten them. And my relationship with the Disney Conservation Fund and the wonderful people that work over there essentially just led to this opportunity where they, they want to do something new. They, wanna, they wanted to do something new specifically to celebrate the birth of two highly endangered Sumatran tiger cubs that were born there at the park and then sort of simultaneously celebrate the 20th anniversary of Animal Kingdom. They, they approached me and said, you know, what? why don't we do something colorful here? They love that so much that they ended up doing a sea turtle one and then a lion and then the elephant, which is out now. Mm -hmm. And it's just been great because there is something so special about connecting people to wildlife through art and design. And that's really what I'm all about. You know, that's, that's the purpose of my work, whether it's designing a theme park experience or designing a piece of, you know, static artwork it's about connecting people with wildlife. I, it's a current that runs through all of my work. And what's great about these is that, you know, you can wear them. You feel like you participated. You not you didn't necessarily go to a Disney park or, um, you know, property in order to make a donation to wildlife. But here, DCF offers, offers this opportunity to do that. You pick up mm -hmm. this button. You feel great about it. You wear it around. Other people say, hey, that's really cool. Where'd you get it? It says hero on it. You're a conservation yeah. hero. You're a hero because you donated, you know, whatever amount you ended up donating. It's more than a dollar. You can donate more than a dollar, everyone, <laughs> and, and still and still end up getting one of these and and you wear it around and and it's it's great it it adds to your experience and it makes you feel like you've accomplished something and done good in the world while you're you know you're there in the park or on your vacation or or whatever at the end of the day you feel like you have contributed to you know making the world a better place absolutely and then you know going disney does such a great job with getting you close to the animals and putting them in good environment and like taking care of them and you know going on the safari you're just like what can i do and they're very i love that the kilimanjaro safari ride is so protecting the animals and like making you aware it's not just like oh look there's a this or there's a that it's like we can do this to help conserve and then you know poachers used to use the elephant's tusk as this and i i just think it's so educational and makes you aware instead of just like going to a zoo and being like oh hey there's this animal and that's it like it makes you like tug at your heartstrings to want to do more and want to do better yeah absolutely i mean i think that those are those are tenants that the ground animal kingdom specifically Right. I mean, reverence for nature and the um, intrinsic value of nature are, are, are baked into everything that is designed for that park. And that is incredibly important. I think it's also incredibly important for people to know just how much money is donated by the Disney company every year. I mean, it's it's not every 
large theme park company or themed entertainment design firm or, you know, whoever who has a philanthropic arm dedicated specifically to benefiting the natural world, wildlife and, and, and wild places. And the Disney Conservation Fund funds global wildlife nonprofits all over the world. Millions of dollars have gone towards conservation. It's, it's not like Disney is going out there and doing that work. Disney is doing that work with their scientists in addition to helping fund nonprofits like Grace, which is a, a, a gorilla conservation organization or Save the Elephants or, or you know, there's there's so many to mention, right? They, mm -hmm. they, they benefit species all over the world. And so, you know, when you go and you pick up a piece of my artwork and you wear it around, you make that donation, you're, you're benefiting wildlife in so many different ways. And you're benefiting more than just the animal that's that's there depicted in the artwork. You're benefiting so many different species. It's so fantastic. So if you guys get your buttons, help donate because you're doing such a good thing for the wildlife around the world. So definitely do that. Okay, so I know we've kind of talked a little bit here and there of what you've done for the company, but would you like to give a little history of your work with the Disney company? Sure. I'm no longer with the Walt Disney Company. Uh, as a result of COVID-19, there's a lot of us who who left, you know, particularly people who worked at Walt Disney Imagineering, and, and that's okay because things will turn around eventually. Mm -hmm. um, but at the moment, I'm, I'm not employed by Disney. And it's the first time in nearly seven years that that's been the case. I started with Disney back in 2014, and it's been a really, really great adventure with them. I've had the opportunity to work on 11 of the 12 Disney parks around the world, six resorts total. And I've helped to bring to life projects like Pandora, the World of Avatar, the Rivers of America, Galaxy's Edge, smaller projects like the Dumbo Q revamp at Disneyland, you know, little things like that mm -hmm. to big things like the upcoming uh, Zootopia themed land going to be in, sh in Shanghai Disneyland and Arendelle expansion that's happening at Hong Kong Disneyland and uh, most recently Avengers Campus where I was the field art director for you know the land theme finishes all that kind of stuff yeah it was a it was a great project to work on I mean I've I've jumped back and forth in in different roles been dimensional designer been a painter been a you know themed finishes artisan been a creative director art director concept designer sort of you name it intern right and mm -hmm. I uh, I started in a in an internship that was the result of me taking part in the imaginations competition and mm -hmm. and anyone who's interested in imagineering and especially working there maybe someday i think it's an opportunity that everyone should take a look at if they are uh, in college and are in a field that is relevant to themed entertainment it's certainly something to look at it's kind of like the secret back door into wdi which is walt disney imagineering I mean, I was already a working professional for many, many years before I decided to go to grad school. Uh, I was I was old when I went to grad school <laughs> and I worked for Nickelodeon, Paramount, Cedar Fair. I had my own firm for a while. I, you know, did all these projects for all these different companies and then decided while I was in grad school, like, ah, whatever, you know, it, it'll be fun. Let's give it a shot. I already knew a bunch of people at, at Disney anyway. So I kind of my next step regardless but then we ended up becoming finalists. I'm like, oh well, um, well that was easy. <laughs> that's 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 one way to get there. And 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 through that, I ended up connecting with um, some really great people at Disney who ended up, you know, becoming my mentors while I was there. And had this 
kind of like this three month formality, um, you know, which was which was the internship. And, you know, for some people, it's three months, for some people, it's a year, every one situation is different. But you know, they needed me to do some work and that becoming a full blown Imagineer right after that internship happened, and it was thrust onto big, big projects. It's a different beast than what I was uh, already working on uh, outside mm-hmm. of Disney. But because I had the experience already, I was able to sort of roll into it and, and be fairly successful fairly quickly. You've done a lot of cool things and a lot of probably like dream projects for, you know, people that as- aspire to be an Imagineer between like Galaxy's Edge, Zootopia, like all those ones you just listed off, which personally, I'm most excited for Avengers Campus to open. That is my my love and heart is Marvel. So I, I can't wait for that. And we all get to experience it because, you know, it's because of COVID, it got delayed. And so we're all excited to see your work and stuff. Our work, I should say. It's, You're, yeah, I, you I am single-handedly a part of it. <laughs> created no, no, Avengers no. Campus. <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. If you could reach out and touch it and it's out in the land, you know, odds are I probably worked Uh on that or or helped bring that to life or sculpted it or, or whatever. For anyone who's listening, who's interested in doing work in themed entertainment, you have to know how to collaborate and work with other people because nobody does anything alone. Everything is a is a monumental group effort. And, you know, you're going to be surrounded by the most talented people in the world and you need to know how to work with them and if you can if you can jive with that then you'll have opportunities to do some pretty amazing things and i i don't have the words to describe the talent that's there and the people who work on these projects and and how much i i owe them and we owe each other for holding each other up especially in the midst of a pandemic and trying to get this really great project moving. Absolutely. And teamwork makes the dream work. Did you play sports growing up? Did you already have that like team mentality and stuff beforehand? Or you just naturally or just work well with other people? Working well with other people, I think, can come naturally to some folks. And then for other folks, it's something that you is acquired, right? Like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you are a, a, you don't have any siblings, you're a single child. And it's it's, it's a little bit harder to, to work with other people because you, you weren't forced to play nice <laughs> with, with somebody else growing up. I, I don't know the psychology behind it, but, you know, all I know is that everybody has to understand that it's not a single person effort to get these things done and that you are going to be more successful. Let's put it this way. <laughs> I'm going to talk about very briefly my philosophy on on career development. I don't believe in climbing the ladder. I think that that's a, a stupid, stupid saying. I don't I don't agree with it, right? Because mm-hmm. a, a single person can climb a ladder at once, which means that, oh. you know, there's always going to be somebody ahead of you and somebody behind you. And if you look at that and you're like, okay, I want to get to the top, but there's somebody in front of me, that's not a way to look at it, you know? And, and I want to get to the top and I want to get there ahead of other people. So somebody has to be behind me. No, 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 no. I look at it as rock climbing. Right. Ladders are unidirectional. You could go up or you can go down. But rock climbing, you have to sometimes scramble to the left or to the right or move down Mm -hmm. and and, and move diagonally. And and it's more fun and safer when you do it with friends. So if you know how to work with people and you want to elevate to the to the top and get to the top of the mountain and celebrate with with the rest of your friends, that's the way to look at your career. Don't look at it as a ladder climb. So I look at my projects like that, too. 
because you have the long game of your your entire career and then you have the short spurts that you know maybe last a few months or maybe just a few years you know you're there on a project team with people you want to find success in the project and the only way to do that is to work with these people so everybody rock climb together all the way up to the top and then when you get to the top you can celebrate together i love that perspective i never thought of that that way like everybody like you said climb the ladder and everything rock climbing like even you know it's okay to go back down a little bit just to get a better spot to go back up and like that is such a great perspective you should put that if you haven't already you should put that like in an art or t-shirt or design post inspirational poster or something for sure yeah yeah i need to write it down <laughs> that is so great okay so i i didn't know if i was going to share this or not but you you know you talked about if you were going into a lander experience if you reach out and touch something you probably had your hand in it there is something i always do when i go to pandora is i'll text uh, morgan a picture of the ground with my hand giving a thumb up in the middle of it and I'll just send it to you on a random thing and there was one time I even did it I wasn't even in the parks yet but I was in the Orlando airport and there was a picture of Pandora and I sent him a thumbs up like good job you did this like <laughs> so that's been our ongoing joke for probably about a year now yeah yeah it's been going on for a while uh Hopefully and, it's not annoying give... you <laughs> no 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 no, no. To, to give people a perspective in pandora one of the one of the roles that i had was to help make the land feel uh inhabited right so mm -hmm. you have all of these amazing six-legged pandoran creatures that are just gigantic versions of terran earth earth terrestrial creatures that walk around and leave imprints and cause damage and things like that and so one of the things that I was tasked with doing in terms of the placemaking and the area development, which is everything outside of the ride boxes, is to see what it's like with the Navi walking around, uh, riding a dire horse up to a certain spot and, you know, dismounting and what what happens when a Thanator runs through the bushes and crashes into a tree chasing prey or something <laughs> like that. And, and so that is reflected in things like creature prints and um, these little stories, these little narratives that are told through the hardscape. You know, that's that's one of the things that I worked on for that project. It's it's not a huge thing, but, you know, it's it's what f helps flesh out the land and, and make the mm -hmm. Disney difference. I think it's a fun little thing that people have started to point out. And um, and like Morgan mentioned, she she definitely lets me know every time she sees it because <laughs> it needs to be appreciated because, you know, especially like the ground, it, it sounds worse than it is, but they walk over it and, you know, sometimes they'll completely miss it. And I think we all need to appreciate all the details and efforts that go into this land. Like, yes, Flight of Passage is a phenomenal ride, but there's so much beauty around. Like Pandora is my favorite. I, I can't wait for the live entertainment to come back, but just like that whole area is one of my favorites. So yeah, we all need to appreciate it. And if you guys want to send Morgan a picture of the ground with a thumbs up, <laughs> we'll know that they listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> Okay, so I know I've asked you kind of a lot of other questions, but now we'll get into the obscure questions. But the question I always start, ask every guest is, why do you like Disney? Like, what made you want to work for the company? Like, did you love it since you were a child? Well, I wanted to work for Walt Disney Imagineering specifically because it's the upper echelon of, of the theme entertainment world in terms mm -hmm. of quality, 
budget, storytelling, talent. You know, I knew that I would be surrounded by very talented people, intimidating people. I would be challenged. I would fail and have opportunities to learn new things. And I, I've done all of that there. Everything I just said is something that uh, you know I've encountered while I was at Walt Disney Imagineering. And when looking at the Walt Disney Company as a whole, they've produced so much content over the many years that they've been around that you're going to connect with something. You know, whether you're a, a pro Disney person or an anti Disney person, there's something that the Walt Disney Company has produced or has bought that you know you are going <laughs> to connect with. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, there, there's a little bit of the element of the warm fuzzies that goes along with it too. If I think about certain things that I, that resonate with me. And so, you know, that's, that's definitely something that I had in the back of my head, knowing that like, oh, it, it would be really, really great to be a part of this story, this long, long hundred year story that's been going on called the Walt Disney Company and, and, and what it's contributed to our global society. And to know that I made a very tiny mark on that um, would be a really fun thing. And so that's what sort of motivated me towards towards doing that. Um, I mean, it, it, it certainly wasn't the paycheck and it certainly wasn't, you know, having, having to pick up and move to Southern California or anything like that. It was, uh, you know, the opportunity to contribute to something much greater than myself. Yeah, that's amazing. And you are definitely a part of Disney history for sure. My next question is, and you kind of already mentioned this earlier, which parks have you visited and which parks have you played a role in creating or some part of creating? So, I mean, like I said, 11 of the 12 Disney parks around the world, you know, I, I had a, a hand in, in, in helping on, on many projects that have gone out to some of these parks, some of which actually happened, some of which are in the process of happening and some of which will never happen. Um, and that's that's the nature of the business is, you know, particularly because I, I, I came into, for, for example, I, I started at Walt Disney Imagineering in a portfolio called Blue Sky, which, you know, was really all about tossing out many, many, many ideas and seeing which ones would stick. And mm -hmm. the majority of the ideas that came out of that portfolio just they just don't ever see the light of day or they they morph into something else. And, and that idea or that that kernel, that notion ended up sparking a bigger or a better or a different idea. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can't tell you how many things I've worked on that are never going to happen. And, and it's not like they just get thrown into the garbage, you know, necessarily. Ideas don't die 100 percent. They mm -hmm. usually spark other ideas. And yeah. so, you know, when people talk about, oh, uh, uh, attractions that were never realized, like, uh, I, 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 I don't quite agree with that notion. It's not like things were never realized. Perhaps were never realized in the form that in, in which people sort of like take it at face value. Right. Mm -hmm. So right. if you if you look at something like the park that was supposed to be built over by D.C., there's a lot of things that came out of that park that ended up informing a million other things that Disney has since mm -hmm. done. And, and it's not and, just and, like Disney has buckets of money. Like there are budgets, there are this, there are other projects. Like, you know, currently how many, even with the pandemic, how many projects are happening? How many projects got cut? Like, you know, things change and, you know, people just think Disney just has buckets of money to do whatever they want. Well, there's land and there's this. And so definitely. Well, I mean, budgets are always a part of this as well. Um, 
there's other things to consider, especially when working overseas, is that, you know, you uh, have to work with local governments wherever you go, whether it's Anaheim, oh. Florida or or Tokyo or Shanghai. You know, Tokyo is a really good example because we don't own or operate those parks. Our intellectual property, and I sh should say Disney's, I don't work for the company anymore. Disney's intellectual property is licensed by the Oriental Land Company. Um, they own and operate the Tokyo Disney Resorts, and they do a, a darn good job of it. They do a fantastic job. They're, mm -hmm. they're really wonderful partners. And um, But it's not to say that there's, there's not challenges that go along with that. And, and a lot of times you develop things and they just don't happen you know, mm -hmm. for, for, for one reason or another or politics or, you know, having to work in, in, in Shanghai with the mainland Chinese government, there's, you know, a lot of challenges that go along with that too, but they've been really good and receptive to, um, what Disney has, has proposed for many things and, um, have, have put their confidence in the Walt Disney company and what, you know, let's let's face it what what bob Iger was able to accomplish um in in negotiating with them so mm -hmm. there's really great things that can happen overseas um and and the one that eluded me which i was bummed about because it it looked like i was maybe going to be doing some work over there is the the paris studio park that oh. uh that's that that's the one park that i haven't done anything for um, oh. I've done work on all of the other parks except for that one. Um, but there's going to be really great things going into that park soon. Um, mm -hmm. So everyone should get excited. There's there's a new uh, Cars story that's going into their backlot tour and yeah. and a, an extension of the Avengers campus going over there and all kinds of fun stuff. So, you know, pe people, um, Parisians and, and, and local uh, French audience, they, they've got a lot to look forward to over there. So excited. I hope to visit that um, soon for my 30th birthday next year because Disney in Paris opened up in 92 and I was born in 92. So we'll both be celebrating our 30th then. There you <laughs> um, go. So I'm excited for that. Okay. So this one might be tricky and you might need a minute or two to think about it, but not necessarily your favorite character, but what character do you most identify with that you're most similar to? Gosh, that's hard. I, I really it think that is. that's like, that's, that's, that's not quite something that I can, you know, maybe, man. This is where like the therapy comes out and it's like, oh, I really have to like evaluate my personality and stuff. Well, I mean, and I just got to like consider IP and figure out like, okay, mm -hmm. Truly speaking, Disney, here are we speaking things that Disney has bought. I don't know. I mean, I, I can I can pull my personality out of several different Muppets, if that helps. Um, oh, go for it. Yeah, which one? Still. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I can look at elements of, of Fozzie and Gonzo and Animal and, uh, you know, and even Dr. Teeth and say like, okay, yeah, that's there's parts of me that are that are definitely in there without a doubt good no one said the muppets yet so i like that answer a lot okay all right this is this is an interesting question since you've gone to disneyland and, and disney world like all the parks if you could go on any retired disney ride whether you've gone on it or not which ride would you want to go on i mean all of the original future world rides i think uh you know there's different iterations right i would prefer to go back on the original journey into imagination ride and i would prefer uh if that ride 
sort of sort of embodied <laughs> a little bit more of what the original iteration of the attraction sort of held. Um, you know, Horizons is is it's it's a wonder. It's it's certainly been an inspiration to many Imagineers. I think that a lot of people went on an attraction like that when it opened up in the 80s and said, oh my gosh, like this is a new form of theater and and I want to do this for a living. And I'm sure it, it inspired many people to have a creative career or a career that was focused on, on science. You know, seeing that and its original form, I think would be really, really fun. Something I haven't done in a long time. That's something really funny that you said you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast yet, but episode three a former Imagineer Brian Collins who worked on it in like a lot of Disney World things in the early 90s his answer was Horizons as well so that's really funny that you both have said that <laughs> yeah I mean and it's it's not to you know discredit World of Motion or um, you know Universe of Energy and all that stuff too I mean I, I'd, I'd love to get back on all of those rides and just ride them mm-hmm. again and the Walt Disney World Resort had this really unique distinction of being this place where these large, you know, multi-animatronic driven experiences were really prevalent. Um, that's going away a bit. Um, it's not to say that it's a bad thing. You know, there's mm-hmm. there needs to be progression and there's new technology that allows uh, people in the industry to tell great stories. And so that's always fun. It's a bummer when it means that something else has to get erased. Rest in peace. Great movie ride. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, next question is, what is your favorite land to hang out in in all of the Disney parks? Oh, my gosh. Um, I mean, that's, that, that's tough. I'm an Animal Kingdom person. You know, I, I, I like the placemaking of that park. You know, same thing with Tokyo Disney Sea. There's many great places to just sort of escape and, and hang out. I'm partial to Harambe. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a it's a lot of fun, um, especially when the new food court opened up over there. That was uh, yeah. some some really great, great placemaking and storytelling with the with the train that goes by and, you know, all of the great placemaking and show elements that, you know, are up on roofs and things like that. It's just fun to walk around and kind of point out things and, and say, like, oh, gosh, I didn't even notice that the last time I was here. That's yeah, great. All right. Next question is. What is your favorite Disney item you own? Ooh. You have a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that'd be hard to choose. <laughs> I've I've it's a tough question to answer because I have things that as a fan I've acquired over time that uh, are are pretty cool. I have things that I've gotten, you know, in my time working at Disney that, you know, mean a lot to me that um, you know, hold a, a lot of significance. For me as a professional, there's other things like like this little Christmas ornament or this pennant and stuff that I got it, when I was five. My my parents took me to Disneyland for the first time, uh, the only time when I was a, a little guy. And so that I think was that's that's probably the most special thing that I have, you know, just because Aww. connected to very early memories. That's so sweet. Oh, was it I'm assuming Christmas time when you went there for the first time or just happened to like get something from the Christmas store? We, I, we just picked up a Christmas ornament. Okay, <laughs> cool, cool. Okay, last two questions is what is something people would be surprised to know you haven't done at a Disney park yet? Um, I don't dress up and go to Disney parks. 
I don't dress in like cosplay or, or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's not really my thing. I just sort of go there. Not, not necessarily incognito because I'm a colorful person. I was going to say you have your own Disney style going on with your bright colors. Like it would be really easy. Like if you were in a group of people, like it'd be really easy to find you for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it usually is, uh, you know, I mean, and I'm, I'm not short, so sometimes I just <laughs> am kind of a, a above the crowd anyway. So I'm kind of easy to point out, yeah. I suppose. So no Disney bounding, no trying to dress as a character or anything. Got it, got it. Okay, and the last question is, what is your proudest moment? And you can interpret that however you would like. My proudest moments aren't necessarily tied to the Walt Disney Company. If you're talking about a creative career, you know, they're, they're certainly – some that happened as a result of my uh, my involvement with the Walt Disney Company, and and almost mm -hmm. all of those are related to the conservation work that I do with wildlife, particularly the International Rhino Foundation. I've worked with Disney to do Indonesian language comic books. It's it's called Donald Beebeck, which is just rehashed Donald Duck comic books um, mm -hmm. from the United States that are done in in the Indonesian language and. You know they're very widely widely read, widely circulated, and 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 published. It's like the newspaper over there, or Reader's Digest, or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's just really really widely read. Everybody reads Donald Beebeck, and uh, whether it's in highly populated areas or you know the last little shop that you'll see before you go into the jungle, everyone can pick up a Donald Beebeck. And you know, and working with the International Rhino Foundation and the Disney Conservation Fund. Um, you know, doing these little Sumatran rhino and Sumatran tiger characters to help let people understand that there's these majestic and highly endangered animals in their backyard that they may not even know are there and, and, and don't see because they're so scarce and so endangered in, in a country and, and, and in Southeast Asia in general, especially where products like palm oil production are decimating natural rainforests and, and old growth forests and these ecosystems where animals like Sumatran rhinos, tigers, uh, orangutans and, you know, Sumatra and, and Borneo are, um, you know, they're they're being wiped out. And mm -hmm. little gestures like this help the younger generations which are really going to be the, the decision makers in the coming 10, 15, 20 years, they're going to be the policy makers. You know, if, if, if the efforts that I make now as an artist can help invigorate them and help build empathy for the wildlife that they have at home in their backyard, something that they should be very proud of then I've done a great service to the natural world if they have this empathy going um, into adulthood and, and it's helping them sort of make these moral decisions as people who have influence in their country. I think that that's a, a very important thing. And it's something that I would not have been able to do had I not been working for the for the Disney company. So it's um, I, I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and stick with that one because yeah. it's it's a really special one for me. Yeah, that's an incredible project. I definitely want to go like look that up online. Your projects just have such impact, everything you do. And I just think we all should strive to use our talents to make an impact in this world. And even just being your friend, I've definitely learned that too, just finding your own way to do that.
great moment. So thank you so much for answering those tough questions. You definitely gave some amazing answers. But now I'll let you kind of take it away and share your most magical moment. When you asked me about this, I think that the first thing that popped into my head was it wasn't the first project I worked on at Disney, but it was definitely one of the early ones that was significant to me. And it was um, Adventure Trading Company. Mm -hmm. People who um, know what this is and experienced it, I'm sure that they have fond memories of it. But for those who haven't, it uh, was a experiential merchandising playtest that happened in 2014 at the Disneyland Resort and focused around Adventureland. And it was essentially, you know, it, it, it used distinct artifacts and allowed guests to become members of a community of storytellers and shared all of these tales of adventure and self-discovery and, and was really a land activation that centered around the idea that, okay, merchandise gets sold in our parks and we have these immersive environments. Why are people coming up and using modern U.S. currency or debit cards or whatever to come in and pay for these in-story artifacts? Well, you know, we we decided in Adventureland, you know, people would be trading stories. And so that's essentially what this was. And so it uh, revolved around these these different trinkets called Juju. And each one of them was attached to a different experience. Some of it was food and beverage related. Some of it was completely and entirely experiential and one of the great things that was a result of this um, was Adventureland came to life through the talent that we placed out there we had face character actors that were part of the story that went out there oh. and and interacted with guests which was really really great um, we tied in all of the Adventureland attractions and and even you know some some elements of Frontierland and, and other parts of the park and I think that the most special part of it is that we brought all of the cast members into the story too. Mm -hmm. All of the Adventureland stores cast members, ride cast members, they were all part of this of this larger narrative that we were telling in the park. And it allowed them to interact with guests in ways that they don't necessarily get to on just the average day. Absolutely. Being a former cast member, it's like, where's the bathroom? Oh, what time's the parade? Those kinds of interactions are your typical ones. And so having somebody come up and be like, hey, where's this going on and that and part of the story, I think that's probably got them just that much more excited about their job for sure absolutely you know and it it extended existing experiences right so we have you know the the experiences that are already in the land whether it's eating at a restaurant buying merchandise at a shop or riding an attraction or or seeing the enchanted tiki room or something mm -hmm. like that um and it, it you know it build it helped to build this community right it and it, it created an, an inclusive and a welcoming community of guests and cast members across the you know the entirety of not even just Adventureland but 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 the park as well because sometimes you know we sent them off on little adventures to take photos of birds and things in other parts of the park and you know it was really really great the cast members got got into it and one of the the most impressive things that I saw there uh, during that event, which I could certainly dive into all of the different experiences that were part of it. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, as an Imagineer took guests on a Tom Sawyer's raft around <laughs> the rivers of America, which if everybody knows they don't go around the rivers of America. Right. So, you know, we, mm -hmm. we, we did things like, you know, Hey, if you won 
if you've already received your piranha ha 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 juju then you know meet us here at a certain time and we're going to take all of you on this like super secret adventure and this scavenger hunt around Tom Sawyer's Island and go around the river and do all this other stuff. And it was really, really great. Right. You know, we, we gave guests experiences that they never would have been able to experience. Otherwise it was a very sort of boutique thing that if you were willing to jump into the story and really be a part of it, then you are welcomed with open arms and, and we're able to participate in all this stuff. And it was so engaging and the cast members did such a fantastic, phenomenal job there that um, there was a moment towards the end of the experience where we have this the storytelling logbook where people who had finished everything completed it all got every single one of the jujus they were able to write down their experience and um, there was this this mother and this daughter were there with the store's cast members and and myself and the other two Imagineers who were working on the project were just kind of watching this experience. And this this woman started to break down and cry. We didn't really understand why, but she was explaining to the, uh, the cast member there that um, her daughter had not spoken in years, just, you know, just was not talking, right? Was was essentially mute, you know, could could speak, but chose not to for whatever reason. And through Adventure Training Company was so engaged in the story and invested and was interacting with the cast members there, the amazing Disneyland cast members there, that uh, she was having conversations with them and was talking and, and was very open. And uh, it was just, just this very touching thing to know that this, this, this fun idea that we came up with, it's like, hey, what if we did this, you know, resulted in such a meaningful experience for some guests. So, you know, that's, that's what it's really all about for, for us as, um, as designers of the built environment and mm-hmm. these immersive storytellers. You know, we, we want to bring people out of their shell. We want to make people feel welcomed and, and optimistic and uh, feel like they can accomplish anything. And clearly in that case, we did. We were successful for sure. That is so beautiful. And so you you met that mom or like you were just close by or what was- I was, I was close by, right? You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we had three Imagineers who carried this project into the field. We had a, a, a producer, a writer, and then a designer, uh, myself. The three of us are still really super close. They're like my best friends. Uh, um, and we were sort of watching at a distance and this situation because, you know, it's it, it's really the cast member's show. It's mm-hmm. it's for 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 them to prove out the the experience and to to sort of prove that, that this type of experiential merchandising experience was successful and could be successfully executed. So it's not necessarily up to us to to step in Mm -hmm. but it was great to witness it it was great to watch and 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 to see that something that we had a hand in creating really meant a lot to this family yeah that is seriously incredible like and there's probably other things that you've done or created that played a hand in something like that you just didn't get to see it but that's awesome that that was like you said, one of your first projects and you already made such an impact. Was that like a driving force for all the project worked on forward from that? Yeah, I think that the experience that I had working on Adventure Training Company primed me to replicate that feeling again. 
and that being used as a motivator in the long nights, the um, the long weekends, the hours and hours and hours away from my family, the hard physical labor, the you know the 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 hours in the office, the long meetings, the late meetings, you know all that stuff. The, it's it's a hard job, right? It's a fun job, but it's a very hard job. And to get through the hard times, you have to know that there's something brighter at the end of the tunnel. And for me, it's these these great experiences that the guests have. You make a difference in their life. You become fulfilled because of that. You realize that you're manufacturing happiness, and that drives you to keep doing great things. That is awesome. Thank you, Morgan, for sharing that amazing story. Is there any other things you want to add before we drop all your how people can find you again? I know we already mentioned your Instagram, but is there anything else you'd want to share? I hope that people understand that coming out of a pandemic like this and going into the parks is something that can give everyone a little bit of perspective in terms of what places like this communal meeting places that are are joyous and optimistic what what it really means to go to a place like this to not take advantage of that opportunity and to sort of bask in the happiness that can be found in, in, in places like this and understand that there are people who work very, very, very hard to bring these places to life and to, um, you know, whether it's the, the cast members who work in the operation side of things or the designers that work to actually build them and design them and make them happen and come up with the, with the idea to create them. There's a lot of people who put a lot of their soul into that. And, um, you know, so so when you get to crawl out of your your home and out into the sunlight, when (laughs) the pandemic has passed and everyone can go back to sort of, you know, life as normal, that they go to these places with a new appreciation for what it means to experience something like this, because. Wherever we have these resorts, whether it's the Walt Disney Company, Universal SeaWorld, Cedar Fair, Six Flags, Merlin, whomever, those are places where people have the luxury to do that. And not everyone around the world has the opportunity to do that. So just go there and understand, like, this is a very special experience. You're lucky to to go there and to just try to soak up as much of the happiness as you can. Oh, definitely. Like... When I first was able to go back to the parks, I didn't realize how much of an impact it made on me. And when I saw Mickey for the first time in months after not going, I bawled my eyes out for about 12 minutes and I just I could was uncontrollably crying. I tried to stop and I was just like, I didn't know how much I needed to see Mickey. So definitely. Um, Where can people find you? And you already dropped your Instagram, but if they wanted to check out your art or get, um, oh, what's the word? What is it called? A commission done? Is that what it's called? Yeah. 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 (laughs) If they wanted to get a commission piece, where can they find you? Yeah. So like you said, Instagram, Morgan Lee Richardson. Uh, My website is morganrichardsonart.com. Um, those are the two places where people can primarily find me. I lurk on Twitter occasionally at um, M Richardson Art, but you know I'm I'm not on Twitter all that often. It's mostly Instagram and and my website because I'm a visual artist and Instagram is a visual social media <laughs> platform. So that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, if you Google me, you can find other 
interviews that I've done uh, with Manga Bay or Ted or whomever. So, yeah, I'm all over the place. Awesome. Thank you so much, Morgan, for coming on. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. listeners stories that you the fan sent in if you would like to submit your story to be read on the just some magic podcast please go to justsomemagic.com and click on the share your magic tab this story was sent in by b I've always had a deep connection to animals, and it started when I was about seven years old. I saw the movie Jane Goodall and her chimpanzees. I knew then I wanted to be just like her. I took photography in high school and go to Disney a lot, although not now because COVID has cast members blocked out. I practice my wildlife photography at Animal Kingdom. The animals there are my best subject, and I love the opportunity to see them change throughout the years. This next story comes from Pamela. 21 years ago, my family started going to Walt Disney World regularly in January for the Walt Disney World Marathon weekend and for my daughter's birthday. Jump forward through her college graduation, Disney college program, Disney internship, and now a full-time status cast member, I go to Walt Disney World a bit more often than just once a year now. On her first day of her internship, she alerted me that there was a giraffe being born on the Kilimanjaro Safari Trail, and the mom was not moving off the trail. I was able to catch on camera little Jabari's hooves coming out of mom as we drove by. Many little bursts had happened since the first one. Recently, I caught up with Doppler, now at the Kadani Village at Animal Kingdom Lodge, and he got so big. One of my challenges has always been the cheetahs. In the past few years, I've been able to finally catch them relaxing and holding still for a great shot. Over in Asia on the jungle trek, you can usually find me by the tigers. I basically camp over there. But those little bar-headed geese always steal my attention away. They're so darn cute. You'd never think they'd be able to fly higher than Mount Everest at the height of 25,000 feet. They're incredible. But not only the animals, but the flora in Disney's Animal Kingdom is captivating and beautiful. Each time I visit, I find something new or a different perspective. I could go every day and find something new. It's an incredible park. I hope you guys enjoyed all of Morgan's stories. It was so great having him on. And I just want to thank Morgan for taking the time to come on the show and tell us all about the amazing projects he's done. If you would like to follow Morgan, all of his links will be down in the show notes. So be sure to check out all of the amazing artwork and projects he's done. Again, we have episodes every Monday and Thursday, so be sure to subscribe so you never miss a single episode. And if you have just a few moments, if you could go to Apple Podcasts to leave a review, it truly helps this podcast out and helps new people discover us. Lastly, if you have a magical moment that you would like to submit to be read on the show, please go to jessamagic.com and click on the share your magic button. I cannot wait to read all of your magical moments, but until next time, Bye.